Hello and welcome to The Wealth Chat, a podcast brought to you by Kleinwort Hambers. In this series, we'll be helping listeners to make sense of the world of wealth. My name is Fahad Kamal, Chief Market Strategist at Kleinwort Hambros, and I'll be hosting today's episode. Today, we're looking at how to plan for the future through succession planning and family governance. We'll be discussing answers to questions that many people come across through different stages of their lives. When is it right to retire? How best to educate their children about the wealth they will inherit one day? And how to make sure that that wealth is a force for good, not only for their children, but for society at large. Joining me in the studio today is Andrew Dixon, our Head of Wealth Planning, and a special guest, Chris Moorcroft, partner at Harbottle & Lewis. Welcome both. Thank you. Morning. The first question really to Andrew or, or Chris, whoever wants to take it, is what is wealth planning? Wealth planning is structuring one's affairs, putting one's affairs in some sort of semblance of order so that they can be managed from an administrative perspective, but also, perhaps more importantly, so that a plan can be put in place to ensure uh, the funding of individuals into retirement, to ensure the transition of wealth, if there's going to be succession of wealth to the next generation, in a way that is efficient from a tax perspective sometimes, but equally importantly, and frankly, more importantly, most of the time, to manage that transition of wealth in a way that avoids people falling out. And that was an excellent lawyer's answer. <laughs> Andrew, what does that mean in, in plain English? Well, I was just going to pick up on the point of transition of wealth. Um, there's a there's an important trend that's happening at the moment. And over the next 30 years, we're likely to experience the largest wealth transition in history. So that will be wealth moving from one generation to the next. I see. And some studies are estimating it's going to be over $30 trillion worth of assets that move from one generation to the next over the next 30 years. And is that largely a result of baby boomers retiring, passing on, and their, exactly. their assets essentially transferring to their children. Exactly. Is it fair to say that wealth planning essentially boils down to the transfer of one generation's wealth to the next in the most tax-efficient manner? Is, really, is, is that as simple as it is? I would say it's a little bit more than that. Tax is important, but it's not the only driver. I think what history in in this area has taught us is that the transition of wealth to the next generation needs to be managed extremely carefully because otherwise people do fall out there are thousands hundreds of thousands of examples of wealthy families that have fallen out over the pot of wealth that has been left to them this is a very common problem with family owned businesses where very often you will have more than one branch of the family um, and already a risk there of things starting to splinter off in different directions. And therefore, fundamental question number one is, how do you split the pot of wealth if much of the wealth is tied up in a family business and one sibling is doing more than any of the others. Or at least thinks that they're doing more than any of the others. Or thinks that they're doing more, absolutely. And I think on a related point, I mean, so that there's the one question about who inherits what, in a way. But I guess another really important question for the principal generator of the wealth is when to even pass it on. You know, there's going to be an age of any sibling. 
at which it's very you know probably detrimental for them to receive a large inheritance or control of a business or whatever and and sort of wealth planning essentially revolves around these sorts of questions when how much how and 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 what's the most efficient way that's that is wealth planning in a nutshell and so 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 walk me through the, that that andrew so so you know many of our clients will come to you and they'll ask questions or, that are in a way impossible to answer right and what is the right age to, to give wealth to somebody well how how do you split between siblings especially when one seems to be more energetic go-getter and the other one tends to be less uh impressive i don't think there's a single strategy that will work for everybody it's a it's a question of you know discussing this with clients but understanding what's the most important thing for them uh, but also making sure that they understand the trade-offs between giving wealth now or wait until later what's the tax position of of those Um, it's it's a very it's very nuanced two families could have very similar circumstances but the answer may actually be different depending on more on the emotional side rather than the actual hard facts of the situation right even personalities and 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 everything exactly but i guess a, a starting factor surely is that the principal generator of the wealth at some point is going to is going to die and if they die without having any plans in place for succession or inheritance bang, right away they get hit with a huge inheritance tax. I've never really understood. Can you walk me through what an inheritance tax is and why does a government suddenly benefit from from an unplanned death of a, of a wealthy that's a good, person? That's a really good question. I mean, I think there are a couple of answers. First, obviously, it's a generator of tax revenue, um, albeit not a massive one, to be honest, certainly not in the UK, um, and I don't think in many places, to be honest. Lots of countries don't have an equivalent of an inheritance or an estate tax. But point number two, I suppose, must be to try and tackle inequality to some extent. Is that really the philosophical basis of an inheritance tax is to essentially not concentrate the wealth in one family or what or what have you? In the UK we don't have forced airship rules. Uh, people are free to leave their assets to whoever they want to via their will. But assuming that they do want to give it to their to their children, but they haven't made any other plans they will, at the, at the point of death, be, char- be taxed, what, 45%? Or- 40% subject to uh, a, what we call the nil rate ban, which is the IHT free estate. Um, there are also, it's also worth mentioning that there are other reliefs which can be absolutely key from inheritance tax in the UK. So um, one, for example, is business property relief, which is there. And again, the, pur- the purpose of that really is to allow businesses to be passed to the next generation without forced sales and the like. Right, so it's fair to say that essentially the entire purpose of inheritance tax planning, one of the things that obviously we do and, and Harbottle does, is to help people with significant means, significant wealth, to transfer that onto the next generation in the way that, that's most tax efficient and suitable for, for their wishes. Well, I'd say that the tax, tax efficiency is a, is a second point. What you're really trying to do with a succession plan is put in place a layer of governance so that wealth is passed down in an orderly manner. And that so governance, that's a fabulous uh, phrase. And you know what are we talking about when you say governance of wealth? Governance is this fairly nebulous term that's used in this area that um, 
uh, is a bit of a buzzword. But the re- the reality is that what a family needs to do, and I guess what governance is really about, is trying to kind of put together some sort of vision for the family wealth. Because otherwise, you know, when we're looking at really big sums and passing them down to last for more than one generation. And you think that that sort of Five million or ten million wouldn't last more than one generation. Well, it could, but it would need it would need to be looked after extremely carefully and grown, um, really. Whereas, you know, I think you need a good wealth manager. (laughs) I think once you get to fifty, a hundred, you look at you're looking at wealth creators who who actually start thinking about more than just their kids. But it's multi generational at that stage. Multi generational. If you're looking at multi generational planning you need to put some sort of vision or rules in place the client needs to be able to answer the question what is the wealth for because if you've created a hundred million and you can't answer the question what is the wealth for then what are the kids going to do with it what do you think they're going to do with it well what's the famous phrase the well i don't know if i've got this absolutely correct but uh, the first generation makes the wealth the second generation preserves it and then the third generation spend it uh, or 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 lose it loses it yeah right. yeah can effective high quality tax planning succession planning and wealth management mitigate a flaw in the in in the generation in the generational succession you know to a degree um, there are structures out there that can um, that can manage wealth and manage the the transition of wealth so that the money doesn't just land in someone's uh, lap on the date of death. Right. And a lot of that would be down to the original principal who, who's created the wealth and exactly. sets up the original structures, yeah. which is exactly where, where where the two of you really come in. Yeah, that's right. I mean, no one here today, neither the wealth creator nor their advisors, can control what people are going to do in 50 years or 100 years' time. But what you can absolutely do is you can put in place... Um, Structures, rules, whatever you want to call them, to maximise the chances of that wealth not only lasting generations for the sake of lasting generations, but being responsibly managed by the custodians of the wealth in 30 years' time or 60 years' time or however long it is. And part of that is by trying to define a vision, trying to answer the question of what is this wealth for? I've made 100 million, I've made 200 million, what is it for? Well, I could give you a couple of examples. One is a client who came to me, and it's the reason I'm plucking the figure 100 million out of the air. He came to me, he was worth about 100 million. And he came in talking about taxes. I've got assets in this country, this country, this country. I'm worried about inheritance and estate taxes. Soon as we sort of started to get under the, the, the skin of what he wanted, it became apparent that his view was that the kid, he didn't want to spoil his kids. He had three kids, I think, and didn't want them to have one or more than about one or two million each. So... Um, don't, want to, he, don't want them to get spoiled. <laughs> well, quite. <Yeah. laughs> so he had a fundamental question to answer, which is before we even start talking about inheritance taxes, even if we came up with some magic structure that meant you didn't pay a penny, what are you going to do with the other 96 million? Because unless you can answer that, there is a massive hole here in your plan. And when it comes to you dying, 
Your kids are going to look at this and say, why are we only getting two million each when there's a hundred million there? And there's no clear vision as to what dad wanted us to do with the other 96. And that's when tensions start to arise. And the three kids would probably start to fall out because one of them might say, well, I think we should give it to charity then. And the other might, another one might say, well, come on, there must be a way of us getting more than our two million, etc., etc." So it's up to the person in control of the wealth. It is vital that they are able to articulate that vision. What does a good vision look like? What are the questions that the generators of wealth should be asking, is it philanthropic? Is it, what is it? What is a good vision? Well, yeah, fundamentally, I mean, one wealth creator may well say it's philanthropic. The next wealth creator may well say it's to, you know, look after the family for generations. A next wealth creator may say something completely different. It may be about the business itself that's made the money and preserving the family business for generations. That may be what their vision is. It's about what's important to them. It's about articulating it clearly. It's about not micromanaging or trying to control from the grave. So it's kind of high level. It's clear, but it's high level. And also, perhaps most important, it's about getting the next generation to buy into it as well. Don't set out a vision that the kids can't buy into. And in an ideal world, this doesn't always happen, but in an ideal world, the kids would be involved at this stage in setting the vision, even if it is the wealth creator that is kind of leading on what that vision is, because they are the ones that are going to have to inherit the pot of wealth and they are going to have to try and carry out whatever the wealth creator's vision is so it's really important that they all buy into it as well everybody wants their children to be uh, to be responsible everybody wants their children to respect money uh, and wealth clearly you know everybody would like their children to be responsible to understand the value of money how do we help achieve that fundamental goal well, this is a really big area at the moment and it's something that we're looking to, to develop on uh, and that is providing a platform for clients to be able to educate their children, financially educate their children and we do have a finance academy here um, but we need to expand on that as a business and, I, and I'm sure we're not the only advisors out there who, uh, who feel this uh, trend. Um, no, no, I'm quite sure we are. <laughs> I'd, I'd also say that uh, from my perspective one thing I quite like is is the notion of charitable giving or, or having some form of um, charitable trust as a means of being able to uh, help clients help their children respect the value of money that makes perfect sense and, and you know and actually and this is a question for, for both of you that we're not just talking about the billionaires of the world here Right, we're talking about sort of average successful people who, who you know, when does tax planning, succession planning, when does one start to think about this? When is the right time? Is it an age? Is it a, a degree of wealth? I and mean, when, you know, when does the average person start to consider these these topics? I would say the average uh, the average person, um, it's probably kind of fifties, fifties, sixties. Um, would be the sort of average. It's never too early. And yeah, sure, as an advisor, I would say that, but it really isn't 
um, ever too early. I think if when I see clients in their 30s and 40s, um, they're they're often putting wills in place um, to kind of protect against the Armageddon scenario and to make sure that which is which is death just to make sure their kids are protected. So for somebody like me who's on the precipice of 39, um, is it too early for somebody like me to start putting in place a will? Or, or or what have you? Uh, absolutely not. I mean, the will is the first step of a succession plan. Particularly if you have children, you have assets, you've got property, then you need to have a will in place to make sure that if death occurred unplanned, um, then there is uh, there is a document that tells tells somebody what your legacy should look like. It's so interesting you say that because I'm reasonably financially sophisticated. I work in a private bank. I'm hosting this podcast and I have no succession planning in place whatsoever because I always assumed that succession planning is something that very wealthy people do, not sort of average, you know, professionals. I think everything we've talked about today uh, could be applied to people with relatively modest levels of wealth to a degree. It won't be the same, exactly the same, and perhaps some of the issues aren't as complex, but... Um, every parent has the same fears. Um, everybody should pretty much have a have a will in place. Um, so these these things ac- apply across the board. It's just the complexity that changes as the um, you know degree of wealth changes. When's the right time to hand it over? What are the best sort of structures? As you said, you know, obviously we don't want our children to be spoiled. So what's the right age? I mean, is, is it the late 30s a good time for them to inherit money? Is it, the, is it when they're 50? You know, what, what works? It's a great question, and clients often ask us, what is the norm? So when we're drafting wills and therefore, you know, uh, assuming the worst is going to happen, the, 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 creator, the wealth creators are going to die, um, Normally in their wills, I would see ages between 25 and 35 as a time when they are comfortable for kids to start to inherit things, serious sums outright. Um, Assuming they don't die is very different um, because then it's really about control and how long does the wealth creator hang on to the control. And wealth creators' um, natural instinct will often be to hang on to it till the very bitter end. But they shouldn't. You don't want a situation where children are in their 50s and 60s, as would now be very common, and still waiting not only for the inheritance itself, but for any kind of influence over what's going to happen with the wealth and how it's managed because frankly they're going to be themselves starting to think about retirement at that age it's just too late so um i would say for will planning death planning 25 to 35 is a normal age for people to inherit for lifetime kind of passing over control i think wealth creators should be thinking very seriously about it in their 60s and 70s Um, passing to kids who are maybe going to be in their 30s and 40s for control of family businesses it's obviously got to be done earlier Um, they should be thinking five years out from retirement what if not more what the plan is for the family business and who's going to take over the reins and on a related point you know i'm fascinated by by how you would advise 
Andrew, our clients? Because yeah, I'm sure they're obviously worried about sort of what age their kids should get, you know, wealth on one hand. But on but how do you decide the distribution between siblings? It's not us who should be making the, the decision how wealth should be split. It, it, our job is to help clients manage that, put in place the structures to try and provide the governance that we'd be talking about so chris actually uh, that leads to an important point how do you prevent because clearly one another um foundational goal surely for the generator of of wealth is a that their children receive it at an age and a time that's appropriate but two after the principal is gone that family cohesion remains that there isn't rivalries among siblings because of the relative um, disparity that they perceive in, in what they've received, etc. A famous example being you know, the Ambani family of of, uh, of India, the richest Indian family. The two brothers don't speak to each other, um, though they're both well into multi-billion billionaire status. But they've, you know, even them, they don't speak to each other because they're unhappy what the other one got. We do some of the things we've talked about. We set out we set out the vision. We make it clear, but then we need to think about the actual legal structures as well. The trust has always been and remains probably um, in many ways the best vehicle for managing this. So what exactly is a trust? Now, Well, now I'm on um, safe territory. So um, a trust is uh, a legal relationship between um, a set law who creates the trust, uh, a, a third party called the trustees who look after the assets and the beneficiaries who are the ultimate uh, uh, intended recipients of the pot of assets. So what does that what does that mean in, in a really clear sentence? It allows um, it allows you to give your assets to a third party through the use of trust law require that that third party manages the assets in a way um, that is for the ultimate benefit of the beneficiary. So in our example of two siblings, for example, who, who are going to receive a certain sum uh, via inheritance, rather than giving it to them directly, per se, you may put it in a trust that manages it on their behalf. You may put it in a trust, and that would uh, potentially give you a lot of advantages. It means that you can control the flow of wealth coming out to them, um, so, uh, so an example of that would be that if I have, if I'm going to die and I have 10 million pounds and I put it in a trust, and I say whatever income is generated from that 10 million every year, let's call it 500 thousand a year, split that equally between my heirs, but never touch the original. Is that is that sort of the thing we're talking that's about? That's the sort of thing because it avoids the five million um, going into their own. Um, estates and the advantage of, of avoiding that is firstly you protect them from themselves depending on the personalities and secondly you protect to some extent that wealth from third parties indeed so so just but just carry on on, on that thought chris we, we were talking about the right structures to to prevent acrimony between siblings you know, for, 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 for the next generation, etc. So how does that work? And, and, what, and Andrew, please jump in here as well. Well, the trust has always been, as I say, in many ways the best way of managing this and the traditional one, but the trust is under attack like never before. And, in, and, and there are two points here. Firstly, in the UK, it's tax inefficient in many um, circumstances to use a trust now because the government have, met, have made the rules that way. And secondly, and this is a a global point, although it applies more in some countries than others, we're dealing now with new generations of people, millennials, 
Generation Z. And if they're going to be the ones inheriting the wealth, many of those think that trust is a dirty word. They hear trust and think of, um, and perhaps, you know, think of what they've read in The Guardian. Not all of them are that happy people in their 20s and 30s to discover that the family wealth is tied up in trust and that's another problem for wealth creators and for the industry is what other structures are out there that might achieve the same objectives but without some of that baggage yeah exactly and obviously in the UK people have been moving away from trust for for quite a while they're still they're still very common um, but people are looking at alternative structures, such as a such as a company structure to um, help manage family wealth. Um, I think the issue over over the different generations is a really big topic because the 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 generation that made the wealth may have a very different view on life than the generation that inherits the wealth or is due to inherit the wealth. And as Chris picked up on the topic there of of trusts having different connotations to one generation and another, there'll be many other issues as well which uh, which the family will need to consider between the generations. So, gents, that has been fascinating. As as a you know, what are your key takeaways in terms of succession planning and tax planning, etc.? I think there are many many different elements to it, and as Andrew rightly said earlier, it's a it's a very nuanced area. Um, but I think number one, the most important, is communication. The family need to communicate because um, the uh, the wealth creators need to think about their goals and what the wealth is for, and then they need to be able to communicate that to the next generation and obtain their buy-in and make sure that the next generation fully understand and are on board with the objectives so that they can then be the custodians of the wealth that the wealth creators want them to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd probably just add that um, it's never too early to start the the succession planning. I, I think it's really important that Clients don't see succession planning as just as a as a tax point, but it's actually it can it can be a force for good. It can be a, a, a tool for educating educating children. Not only an ideal way to serve uh, your family, but also wider society as well. That's fabulous. Thank you so much, gentlemen. It's been a real pleasure to have you in the studio today. Thank you. Thanks very much for having me. Thank you for joining us on the Wealth Chat. To make sure that you never miss an episode, please subscribe on your podcast app of choice. I'm Fahad Kamal, and on behalf of Kleinwood Hambros, thanks for listening. This podcast is not a personal recommendation or investment advice. The value of investments can fall as well as rise, and past performance is not a guarantee of future performance. It is not intended that this podcast is distributed in or into the United States of America. This podcast is issued by the following companies in the Kleinwort Hambrus Group. In the United Kingdom by SG Kleinwort Hambrus Bank Limited, which is authorised by the Prudential Regulation Authority and regulated by the Financial Conduct Authority and the Prudential Regulation Authority. In the Channel Islands by SG Kleinwort Hambrus Bank CI Limited which is regulated by the Jersey Financial Services Commission. SG Kleinwort Hambrus Bank CI Limited Guernsey branch is also regulated by the Guernsey Financial Services Commission. Both entities are also authorised and regulated 
by the UK Financial Conduct Authority in respect of UK regulated mortgage business. In Gibraltar, SG Kleinwert Hambrus Bank Gibraltar Limited is authorised and regulated by the Gibraltar Financial Services Commission.